G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. We have been talking through those issues to do with the Racial Discrimination Act and uh, Mark Fowler remains with us. Mark is the chair of CLEAR. It's the organisation that's uniting Christian law societies around the country. Uh, Mark, we appreciate your uh, comments as uh, as to how that conversation was unfolding. Uh, we weren't uh, pushing for uh, a bunch of uh, calls through this uh, time, but uh, let's take a call from Tanya in Sydney who's uh, got some comment to make. Hello, Tanya. Welcome to 2020. Oh, hello. Thank you. And um, thanks for taking my call. I just had a comment to make and it'd be interesting to hear, Mark, and also your response about um, in terms of offence, I teach a lot of multicultural students and it's relatively easy to offend people in the sense that we have different senses of humour mm. and, you know, the Australian sense of humour um, knocks each other. You know, that's quite a normal way like, mm. oh, come on, you wally or something like that. Mm. Um, so, I mean, how do, you, how do you account for that without offending people? It's very easy yeah. to offend people if they don't understand your cultural sense of humour. Mark? It is, Tanya. It's, um, that's a great question. And it sounds like you're on the, on the coalface of um, yeah, the issue. Yeah, I sure am. <laughs> yeah. Like, I've done a bit of cross-cultural engagement uh, in my time and spent a bit of time in Southeast Asia and in, in Africa and so on. And and in Indigenous Australia, and it's usually the length of time that you're in a another culture, um, you know, through that course, your eyes are open to how offensive you actually were at the beginning of the time that you were there, you know, yeah. and the longer that you get. Um, like I spent uh, two years ministering in an Indigenous community, and by the end of it, I was like, oh, my goodness, did I really do that when I first came here? And um, so it does... You know, and the interesting thing, I think, coming back to our comments earlier, in a multicultural society, there will be that level of cross-cultural offence. Yes. But an open dialogue would allow us to, okay, can I don't mean to offend you. How have I offended you? Could you explain it? Because through that process, I come to know you and your background and your culture better. Yes. And if you can afford me the respect of, oh, look, this was just a stumble. I didn't, I wasn't aware. Um, that this was concerning for you. I'm just thinking of you, especially in your schoolroom uh, context, that, that you don't intend to give an offence on a cultural matter, but you no. may well. Um, for example, in Indigenous Australia, um, it is actually um, high, not highly taboo, but it's actually offensive to look people directly in the eye. Yes, that's right. And so a lot of, and you might have come across this in education, so educating indig- Indigenous students um, there is part of the, I understand, the undergraduate uh, training for our teachers is to be aware of this, that when um, you're uh, teaching uh, Indigenous students not to expect, and it's not an offence, you shouldn't take it as an offence or a slight that they won't look you in the eye. Yeah. Um, and so this is an important thing, but that immediately, the clash of those two worldviews leads to an offence on both sides. But if we then come to the place of understanding, well, this is not an offence thing. It's not intended as an offence. We understand something a little better about each other. But if you apply that to the freedom of speech issue, if you're not ever able to say something 
if you're impugned because you've said something that is offensive, it, you don't have that greater exploration if it can be done with mutual respect yeah. and understanding of worldviews. And Tanya, if I was uh, offering my opinion too here, there's something very interesting about people's sense of humour and uh, you'll notice this in a local church context often because oftentimes we like to joke, we like to laugh, we like to actually have a sense of humour in church life. Uh, But I was at a recent uh, leaders meeting in our own uh, church context, uh, my church context, and, and our senior pastor said, you know what, sarcasm, uh, which is usually someone's attempt at humour, uh, is a very confronting and oftentimes offensive uh, thing to be involved in. So the idea that we actually attempt humour sometimes goes astray. And in wisdom, as a Christian, and particularly in a church context and perhaps even uh, in the school's context, if you actually think very carefully before you make a humorous con- uh, comment, uh, you might actually be saving yourself a, a lot of uh, uh, ill reputation because you won't be offending people if you just decide not to be humorous today. Of course, it's great to have a joke. It's great to have a laugh. But uh, but there is a sense, too, that uh, that humor sometimes is under the guise of sarcasm and sarcasm is offensive and people can get offside. Yes. Is that uh, that's the sort of thing that you were thinking about, too? Yes. That's right. <laughs> right. Well, Tanya, great to hear from you. Really appreciate your input today here on 2020. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Mark, Let's. we want to move on to another topic, and the topic that we actually had scheduled to talk about today, and, mm-hmm. and look, if listeners uh, would like to make comment on our previous conversation when it comes to uh, the uh, withdrawal of these changes to the Racial Discrimination Act, you still can. The talkback line is open. Our number is one eight hundred eighty eight zero eighty seven six. But We're also going to be talking about some changes to charities law today, and Mark Fowler, this is an area of your expertise when it comes to Christian who are a part of charities and local churches, what are the big changes that we all need to be aware of that might affect us uh, in general? Okay. There's two, well, there's probably three primary ones in the context of Christian organisations. The first and the headliner, of course, uh, is the abolition of the Australian Charities and Not-for-Profits Commission. Uh, Very briefly, um, some of your listeners may be aware that we now have a charity regulator in Australia, the first time in history, uh, set up in December 2012. And uh, the current government, uh, when they're in opposition, pledged to abolish the commission uh, when they took power, and that remains their position. Um, They have introduced legislation to the House of Reps, was referred to a Senate uh, committee. Interestingly, 80% of the submissions to that committee were in favour of retention of the uh, regulator. And it's quite a curious thing when you get the majority of the sector that is regulated actually advocating for the regulator. Um, It says something about, I think, um, the track record to date of the regulator. Uh, One of the issues and what really started the conversation, um, which was a culmination of a series of um, reports from the Productivity Commission, uh, the Henry Review also, various other reviews recommended there should be a dedicated regulator um, for the charity space which is a, a very sizable part of the Australian economy, actually, and um, also volunteer um, contributions. So you know, it is part of our philanthropic uh, volunteering spirit. It's an amazing um, at an international level, the level of volunteering that goes on in the Australian community. There, there is a sense, isn't there, Mark, that the regulator that has been uh, cut uh, as a cost-saving cost measure mm-hmm. has been replaced, though, by, uh, by another department? 
It's, it's not yet cut. Right. So, so the bill's been introduced into the House of Representatives and it's yet to pass the Senate. It will turn on a few individuals sitting in the middle of the Senate, namely the Palmer United Party and a few okay. others, as to whether or not the uh, commission will be retained. We should have some clarity in the next coming months um, as the government moves through its legislative agenda. But the proposal is that the regulation of charities would go back to the uh, Australian Tax Office, who was doing it previously. Okay. One of the things that the uh, regulator was doing was giving people confidence uh, that they could, uh, that they were actually, uh, you know, the appearance of be- everything being above board. It was giving everyone a, a sense of, yes, we're doing this right because the regulator is keeping an eye on us. Yes. And it was actually enhancing their ability to raise funds and do the work of charities. Yeah, that's right. That was certainly one of the um, arguments in support. And, uh, you know, there in some sense have been a response to a couple of flash-in-the-pan concerns about fraud and so on in the charity sector. And it's interesting, the history of charity law is often a response to those kind of fraudulent activities by some minority. But yes, one of the arguments in support was that it would enhance public confidence in the sector and therefore the amount of um, philanthropic endeavour that might go on as a result, most certainly. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. 2020 on Vision. Great to have you along with us here on 2020. It's Neil Johnson with you. Our guest this hour, Mark Fowler, the Christian lawyer, chair of Clear International Australia. We're talking about charities now as our conversation has evolved from talking about uh, the uh, Racial Discrimination Act and now talking about charities. Uh, Mark, let me ask you, there is a connection between charity law and religious freedom and it comes down to this involvement that the state has in actually regulating charities. Mm. Uh, what's what's the history and what should we know about that? Sure, that's a great question. Um, yeah, certainly, look, uh, charity, one of the elements of charity is the uh, advancement of religion. So to the extent that the state, it's interesting, on the, the old sort of, um, you know, separation of church and state divide, the 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 uh, eons uh, old argument, one of the fronts on which that that argument plays out is in the charity space. And so, for example, um, all religious charities are presumed to be for the public benefit, okay? Mm-hmm. And you have to be for the benefit of the public in order to get charitable status, which then means you get exempt from uh, income tax and various other privileges that come with charity status. So oftentimes the fight is over, well, should the state be endorsing religion or is it an endorsement through religion to give it charitable status and therefore mean uh, that it's no longer liable to pay income tax as everybody else is in the country? Uh, so this is a religious freedom argument in the sense that if the state was to tax the church, does that impose a restriction on religious freedom? Because the church is then limited in the pursuit of its own purposes. So we're actually comfortable in the tension at the moment uh, because the tension's actually on the side of the churches who do have that uh, tax exemption. But it's not just churches, it's, it's all religions. So when we That's talk correct. about the Christian church not having to uh, pay certain levels of taxation, uh, that actually extends right across the board to all religions who are presumed to have a public benefit. That's correct, yes. So there's a 1983 case out of the High Court um, which held that the Scientology religion, for example, was a religion for the purposes of the law. Uh, so it's a, it's a fairly inclusive, expansive definition. But it's, a, it's another interesting thing. So as I said, it's um, that fight, the tension between church and state is played out in the charity space. Um, if you And we tend to think that 
the sort of current um, – so recently there was – a couple of years back in 2010, there was a Senate inquiry into whether or not religion should be presumed to be for the public benefit or whether religion should prove that they are for the public benefit before they get access to charity endorsement and hence tax exemption. Uh, and it's interesting. We think that these are all novel ideas, but I've been doing some recent uh, reading and, and looking back through the history of this discussion. Uh, and it's interesting to note that Henry VIII, at the time that the Anglican Church split away from the Roman Catholic Church, one of the uh, the contemporary thinking at that time, which in some sense legitimised Henry VIII's acquisition of church property, was concerns over whether or not we should presume that religion was for the public benefit. So this this argument has at least been going since the 1400s and well before that. Uh, it's fascinating. When we think of regulation of charities, uh, we assume that the regulator is actually ensuring that those charities are for the public benefit. Mm. Uh, would it be the case that some charities are not? Look, certainly a charity can be removed from the register of charities it is, if it is proven that they're not for the public benefit. So they, if they are, for example, engaging in illegal conduct, then that would, be, that would res- remove the presumption and they would lose their tax exemption and they would be then subject to whatever sanctions would apply from their criminal conduct. Okay. Now, interestingly, in Australia, as I understand it, uh, 23 out of the top 25 charities are Christian charities. Uh, we have a nation that is really founded upon uh, charity work, charity organisations, uh, and uh, in the case of uh, the advancement of religion, we're talking about the Christian religion in Australia. So whenever there is change to charity law, it really does affect Christian churches quite dramatically. Yes, it does, most certainly. And- yeah, it's interesting actually on the Australian story. That's we're quite unique from, for example, from the UK, which has a formal established model, as in the Anglican Church is the Church of England, um, literally the Church of England. It is the state religion. Uh, in the US, as we know, there is a fairly strict separation of uh, church and state, at least purportedly so. Um, so there is no state religion. There is no funding of religious schools and so on. And there is an absolute plethora of um, U.S. Supreme Court and lower court decisions on what this separation of church and state means. The interesting thing is that the, the substance of the text of the First Amendment, which reflects that separation of church and state in the U.S. Constitution, is actually reflected in, an, in our own Constitution, Section 116. But we have not had a similar uh, div- division. Uh, between church and state in the sense that we we have no question over state funding for religious schools, for example. Let me ask you about what may be coming in the future because if we talk about a rising secularism in Australia and uh, our national leaders would say we are a secular state, a secular mm. nation, mm. Uh, when you have a, a rise of secularism, would there have been fears that a regulator over charities other than the tax office, now you would expect that the tax office would have some level of regulation and if that's the alternative to mm. uh, to doing away with the current regulator, mm. is there a sense in which there may have been fears that the regulator in a rising secular society may actually have been a detrimental thing towards the Christian church? No, no I don't think that that... Um, reflected any consensus opinion um, at the time of the instigation of the regulator. Um, I think the fair comment to say is the regulator enforces the law 
and the law is in Australia that all religions are presumed to be for the public benefit. That's not the uh, case in the UK anymore. Religions have to prove they are for the public benefit in the UK to get access to charity status. Now, the appropriate vehicle for altering the law is not the regulator, it's Parliament itself. And so Parliament did look into this back in 2010 and didn't agitate the position. And there was a a, um, a new uh, settling of the common law of charities, the judgment law of charities, into a, a charity act which defined what is charitable for law and uh, came into force uh, on the 1st of January this year. And that retained the presumption of public benefit for religion. So very recently, uh, Parliament hasn't seen fit to change the position. Neil Johnson with you on 2020. I guess this hour, Mark Fowler, he's the chair of Clear International Australia. This is the body that is uniting the Christian law societies around Australia. And you know what, Mark, when I uh, think of a body that unites law societies that were some ways autonomous up until now, there is something very special about a, an organisation that actually brings those societies together and with a common sense of mission because mm. uh, there's even an overseas focus. You've had a group that's just come back from Africa. Tell me what CLEAR is doing in Africa. Okay, so um, we are partnering with like societies, so Christian Lawyers Fellowships in Rwanda, Kenya and Uganda, and we're doing it with the Lawyers Christian Fellowship in the UK. Uh, and one of the activities we're doing is sending young law students over on legal mission trips once a year. So we've just had our cohort come back in the last two weeks. And I'll give you a bit of a snapshot of what they've done over there as a, as a sense what's going on. They um, In northern Uganda, they went into an, an area that was affected with uh, by the war with Joseph Kony. You yes. Remember the Kony campaign yep. of a couple of years ago. So Kony was driven out of that area, the Lord's Resistance Army. What had happened during the course of the conflict was that uh, the locals had fled from the area and had, you know, put themselves in temporary camps. Whilst they were out of the area, others came in on their plots and took it, took them over. Um, when the Lord's Resistance Army was driven out, the former locals returned to find others on their plots. So there was a lot of land disputes going on. So these students, with the assistance of local lawyers, went in and um, trained local pastors in the community on how to resolve these conflicts, land-based conflicts and so on. So that was one of the things they did. Uh, they also met with the Ugandan Human Rights Commissioner and spoke about things like the kind of things we're talking about today, freedom of speech, independence of the press, independence of the judiciary, those kind of issues. And we find that when you go over and you see real challenges to the rule of law, it, it brings things into sharp distinction. And for a young Christian law student, it's helpful for them to come back to Australia and see, you know, what how great value the principles that we have. And reflecting on our early conversation, uh, talking about Australia's uh, multiculturalism or multi-ethnicities and uh, the way we manage all of that, uh, it's uh, it's a, a different kettle of fish, I guess, in Africa, and they've mm. got some real issues with multiculturalism there, mm. which I guess young lawyers from Australia are going to be helping uh, legal people in uh, Africa to be able to navigate. Mm. Correct. Now, Mark, uh, other things that Clear is doing. How often are you getting together? Are you uh, what's in what ways are you not uniting uh, the uh, these uh, law societies? Sure, the, um, very very quickly. Okay, very quickly. Each of the um, state based societies. So there's no dev- devolution of autonomy. They're all still s- are completely autonomous. But we have a national body. Uh, the membership of which is the Christian Law Societies, and they have a right of uh, appointment of a board member. 
So we encourage them through that mechanism. We meet right. on a regular it's basis. It's a work in progress, and I'm looking forward to some good news as to how that Probably. all evolves. Mark Fowler, thanks so much for being with us today on 2020. My pleasure. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts, or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.